can we just lift the hands straight towards heaven this, this morning? God, we thank you that upon your word, on your word, everything has to change. Lord, we're in your presence this morning, and we have to be different because we've encountered you.
God, we thank that you make a way when there seems to be no way. We lift your name up this morning knowing that you're a way maker. In the darkness, everything has to flee and surrender under your name. Within the sound of your voice, Lord, we thank you this morning that you're healing. We thank you, God, that you're in the midst of redeeming. That you're a way maker that has never stopped and that's never going to change. That's who you are.
here right now. Tomorrow's not here. We can't go back and change yesterday, but we know the promises that he's with us right now. And in Jesus, Jesus' name. Come on, everybody said. Amen. Do me a favor and air high five someone next to you. Say welcome to church this morning. Give thanks for the good days. When the traffic lights all turn green, when promotions come and bad habits are broken. Give thanks for warm meals and the company of friends. Give thanks for undeniable blessings and clear direction. When the music floods your soul and the worship songs flow without effort. Give thanks for coffee and clothing and hope that the two never mix. Give thanks for the mother who battles daily in prayer, for the father working three jobs, for the brothers and sisters who build blanket forts and read bedtime stories. Give thanks for sons and daughters and all our family who remind us of what truly matters. Give thanks for the stranger who holds the door open and the lifelong friend who holds you when life is broken. Give thanks for the hard days, for the phone call that brings life crashing down, for jobs lost and friendships fallen into conflict. Give thanks for the anger that reminds us we are human and the tears that express more than words can ever fathom. Give thanks, though the pain is overwhelming, your energy spent, your spirit fallen, and your only option is to fall to your knees before your Holy Father and cry out, God, please help me. For in that moment, his power is made perfect. His love is made evident. He becomes your strength your comfort, and your salvation. Give thanks for the power of redemption, from Genesis to Revelation, for the endless promises of a God who would rather sacrifice his son than give up on his children. For nail-pierced hands, for brilliant dawns, for the cool touch of rain and the simplicity of a quiet day. For all things great and small, let us give thanks. Well, it's good to see you all here this morning. What a day. I don't think we've ever had a blizzard here at Berean that cut us this deeply. And i um, just glad that you're here. Um, the smallest crowd I've ever preached to was the first church we pastored. And uh, there was a blizzard and we had church that night. And had uh, Wednesday night had four people that showed up and that was counting my wife and I. So we beat that record. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Pray for our team. We have a number of people in the church and on the team that are out, um, either in quarantine or 
um, battling uh, symptoms of some sort. So just remember them in prayer. Some of them should be returning back uh, this week. And uh, I know there are a number of people in the church that have uh, been dealing with COVID. So far, I've not heard of anyone in um, physical distress other than the normal symptoms that go along with that. And for that, we give thanks. Amen. We give thanks for the good days and the bad days, right? Come on, help me this morning. You're going to have to shout for 10 people this morning if this is going to work. Give thanks for the good days and the bad days. My favorite line in the video was, give thanks for coffee and clothes and that the two never meet. How many, how many know what that is? That's called a lawsuit at McDonald's that will make you rich. That's what that's called. So I want to say a big thank you to our extended team. We had worship led by the pastor of Prairie Crossing and home missionary from Drake Chi Alpha that uh, helped us out this morning. Give them a big hand. Will you do that? Thank you. Thank you for your help. I thought it sounded great. Did a great job. And um, I'm glad. Aren't you glad we can still have church? Glad that we can still have church. I, uh, some years ago, just to kind of give you a little context, I was asked to preach at a graduation, high school graduation banquet. And as it happened, for a variety of reasons, there weren't very many people that came. Uh, they, it, they hadn't heard I was speaking, so don't blame it on that. But they hadn't heard uh, that, and I don't know what happened, just a small group. And I was telling someone before service, I just decided since they were there, I was going to give them the whole load. I mean, I was going to give them everything I had. You'd have thought I was a flaming evangelist from the South. I mean, I was spitting and hollering and preaching and and giving it everything that I had, and I asked my pastor afterwards how it went. He said, well, let me give you some advice I got from an old farmer. He said, when I take hay out to the field, if all the cows don't show up, I don't dump the whole load. <laughs> so this morning, if there's anything you don't like, just throw it over on the seat beside you. Somebody will get it next week. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 11. We're in the final stages of Ezra's internal reforms. And again, just to remind you of the journey, the city of Jerusalem had been like a ghost town for 142 years. I looked over my notes and I thought, this was not supposed to be this relevant. <laughs> 142 years, it was a ghost town. Remember, we started with Ezra recording the story of Zerubbabel when Zerubbabel came and rebuilt the temple. And then you have the deliverance of God's people under Esther. And then the worship reforms under Ezra, then a gap, and we come to Nehemiah, who's rebuilding the walls of the city. And my contention all along has been that until what God does in the temple reaches the walls of the city, the work's not complete. And we're going to see in chapter 11 what the final end game in God's mind for the church really is. God put it in Nehemiah's heart to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem after 142 years of desolation. The task is completed in 52 days. They've rebuilt the walls in 52 days. The temple of Jerusalem is rebuilt. Spiritual and civil law and order has been restored. But here's the problem. There aren't very many people living in the city. They need to repopulate the city. You say, well, why would we be talking about that this morning? Well, because in scripture, but second, let me just remind you. It won't always be like this. It won't always be like this. I, I, where'd everybody go? They all left. I said it won't always be like this. All right? And how many know, as you look around this morning, we need to repopulate the city? <laughs> There's going to be life after this. And at the beginning of 
COVID, when we first went into lockdown the first time, I preached a series of messages titled, Come Back Stronger. And then the, the sanctions lifted and we're back in church and I thought, well, that was a short-lived sermon. Well, I wish I could preach it again because I do believe as we get through this, the church will come back stronger. It may come back thinner, but it will come back stronger. And it's our opportunity now to evaluate what's happening in our lives and in our church that will help us repopulate the city. In the beginning of scripture, Genesis chapter uh, 2, God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth. Why was that? Because in the cosmic scheme of God's plan for eternity, you discover this. Our purpose on planet earth are to produce human bodies in which the spirit of God may dwell to be redeemed, to be part of God's end time plan forever. It's not just about filling the filling the planet. It's about an army of God's people. His reason for telling them to replenish the earth is because God was calling out of them a created people for his name. That message from God and that vision from God, that calling from God has never changed. In Jesus, or I mean in the Old Testament days, it wasn't about Jerusalem having new walls. It wasn't about a temple being rebuilt. What was it about? It was about the city of God being repopulated. And we're told in the book of Hebrews that those who please God had this vision, this testimony, that they were looking for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God, and the will of God has always been to repopulate his city. In spiritual terms in the New Testament, it's wrapped up this way, that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, that men, women, boys, and girls will come to faith in Jesus Christ, and that message has never changed. So for the church to do that, I believe the church has to be both missional and attractional. In fact, I don't think a church will attract people if it's not missional. And I don't think a church can be missional if they don't intend to attract people. How many are hearing what I'm saying this morning? That we need both of those. And Nehemiah chapter 11, I think, captures at least four dynamics that are important for a church to be missional and attractional, four dynamics that are important when we get on the other side of COVID, four dynamics that we can think about this morning about how they're impacting our lives. How many are ready to go on the journey with me this morning? All right, let's do that. In the first verse, what is it that the church should look like if it wants to be fruitful and multiply? Well, verse one says this, now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. Number one, you have to settle the leaders. Now by settle, I don't mean settle their fights and their disputes. I mean, leaders have to settle in the land. The leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. The leaders saw the vision, they saw the need, and they saw the destiny of Jerusalem and realized that for that to happen, leaders had to live in the city. They couldn't live outside the city and come visit it. You can't be a Sunday morning only Christian where you come in the city and visit it. You have to be a child of God Monday through Saturday as well. How many know what I'm saying this morning? You have to be that. It's not about visiting. It's about settling in the city. I live there. It's who I am. It's my identity. It's my address. And leaders lead the way out in front. Now, I know we live in a culture where leadership is being emphasized. In fact, I've heard people say, well, I get so tired of going to church and hearing some leadership talk because that doesn't really apply to me. 
Uh, well, I hope to change your perspective a little bit this morning. Not that we should have leadership talks, but that God calls us all in some fashion or another to be leaders. Every individual on the planet has the ability and the opportunity to lead someone, and we all need to rise to that caliber. I found the definition of leaders that I really like. A leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. What do you call that? You call that a believer. Let me say that again. What is a leader? Someone who knows the way, someone who goes the way, and someone who shows the way. Can you hear evangelism in that? Can you hear discipleship in that? That's what we all should be uh, following after. Uh, Estee Lauder, not one of the great spiritual leaders of our generation, said, I never dreamed for success. I worked for it. Studies I've done on leadership would tell me that 5% of the population are natural leaders. 95% have to work at it. All of us have to work at being what God's called us to do. And my favorite leadership quote of recently, recent times is this. The ability to speak does not make you intelligent. <laughs> Isn't that good? The ability to speak does not make you intelligent. That comes from... Jedi Master Kigan Jin, just if you want to know where that bit of wisdom came from, it's a Jedi. I came across an article, and I don't normally read a lot to you while I'm in the pulpit. I figure if I've got to read it to you, I could give it to you, and you could read it at home. But this article is really good capturing what leadership looks like in the lives of believers. It was written by an individual named Tyler Edwards in Relevant Magazine. And listen to this. He really captures it well. In many ways, the call to follow Christ is a call to leadership. Faith isn't a spectator sport. The influential Christians we remember throughout history were the men and women who would not wait on the sideline when there was work to be done. They realized that Jesus didn't just save us from something, he saved us for something. He has a mission, and his church and his people are part of it. Jesus turned ordinary men and women into world changers. If Jesus could use them, we cannot rightly say that he cannot use us. We all have people in our lives who follow our example, our kids, our friends, our coworkers. We all have areas of influence, which means we all have opportunities to lead people and to lead people to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. It's time we, Christ's followers, stepped up. It's time we stepped out on faith and start living out what we claim to believe. It's time we serve the people around us. It's time we love the people who hate us. It's time we started leading. If you don't like the direction the culture is going, then stop following and start leading. Lead in a new direction. I, I do care, I shouldn't say it that way, I do care what happens in the White House and what the end result of this debacle ends up being. However, I don't need it to fit me for me to make a difference in the culture around me. It's time to get up and march and start walking and say, I'm not going to be defeated by a hostile political climate. I'm not going to be defeated by a hostile COVID climate. I'm not crawling into the corner and sit back and whimper until Jesus comes. I'm going to get out in front and lead as long as I have a breath and as long as I have a strength and I know that other things may sideline me 
but as of today, I'm going to keep marching, keep walking, keep leading. And I'm going to tell you this morning, if my wife and I are here and one other person, the doors will be open. And I understand that people have to stay home. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm not caving in because tomorrow's going to come and there's going to be a new day of victory for the church of Jesus Christ that doesn't give up on the world we're living in. Hallelujah. I believe that. So then, understanding, here's, and now that's all leading into the point I want to make about leaders settling, that you're all leaders. Point at your neighbor and say, you're a leader. You don't have to say they're a good one, just they're a leader. What do we know about leaders in scripture and about leadership? Are you still with me? This is a really important piece to get, I think. It was like a, a light bulb came on. First, two principles of leadership that I want you to get from Nehemiah chapter 11. You can't lead until you learn to serve. Leadership is not about the height of your position. It's about the breadth of your influence. And leadership is all about service. I would have expected Jesus to come to earth and say, I didn't come to serve, I came to be worshiped. But he didn't say that. He said, I did not come to be ministered to, but to minister. I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And there isn't any way that you can follow the ministry model of Jesus and not believe that Jesus came to serve and that leadership is about serving others. It's not about perks. It's not about position. It's not about being elevated. It's not about people looking up to you. Leadership is measured not by the height of your climb, but by the breadth of your influence, the people that you're touching for the kingdom. That's how leadership is measured. And if you don't want to serve, you're not a leader. Amen? If you don't want to serve, you're not a leader. Jesus was a servant. One of the best ways to demonstrate your leadership then is to find a need and fill it. Leaders don't sit back and say, Boy, I hope somebody recognizes my giftings before long. I hope somebody recognizes how much I have to offer and gives me an opportunity. Leaders make opportunities. Leaders find needs and fill it. They look for a place to serve. So you can't be a leader until you learn to serve. How many are still with me? Because that comes to this. And you can't learn to serve until you settle. Some people are so enamored, reminiscing about their past, or fantasizing about their future, that they're never engaged in the present. You can't serve people if you're always celebrating where you've been. You can't serve people if you're always wishing for where you're going to go. I've watched that in pastoral leadership. I've watched that in church leadership. I've watched people come to Iowa. I've been on the presbytery for a number of years. And I'll tell you what I know. A person who's always talking about where they've come from isn't going to make it in Iowa because Iowans don't care where you came from. They want to know if you're living here. I mean, care where you came from, but boy, back in Ohio, well, I'm telling you, back in Florida, well, then go back there. Hello? I don't care how they did it then. 
some people can't enjoy today because they miss where they used to be. And then there are other people that are always thinking about where they're going to go. Someday, I'm going to live here. Someday. I remember my dad, when I was growing up, all of his um, later years of life after he remarried, he said, when I retire, I'm going to move down to the Ozarks. I'm going to fish. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live in the Ozarks. When he retired, his wife decided they're going to La Crescent, Minnesota. How many know that Minnesota is a long ways from Branson? In a lot of ways. If you're always dreaming about where you're going to go, people aren't going to receive your investment if you're always talking about where you're moving to. I'm just saying to you, the same is true about churches. Well, the church I used to go to, we don't care. <laughs> or if this doesn't work out, I got my on a church over here. Here's the reality. Pastors who are looking for the next church will never bless their present church. And as long as we don't learn to live in the moment, yesterday is gone, tomorrow isn't coming, um, isn't here yet, so today is all we have. If you're going to be a leader, you have to settle in and be present in the moment, love the place where you are, own the place where you are, love the people that are around you. It doesn't matter if you were always here or were a recent transplant, you have to love the people that are around you and love the environment that you're in or you'll never be accepted as a leader. The leaders in, in, in Nehemiah chapter 11 said, we're going to live live in the city because we can't lead the city if we don't live in the city. All right, moving on. I'm serious. I, I just get, does anybody else feel that? You know, frustrated with people that are either living in yesterday or in tomorrow? Let's live where we are today. Berean is the best church I've ever pastored. Because it's the one I'm at. Come on. The best house I've ever lived in is the one I'm in now. And that's probably true. But what? what? <laughs> no, I'm not even going to say that. Forget, erase that. That thought is going into the circular file. You have to live in the moment. The church will be fruitful and multiply when servant leaders settle. This is our place. When they own the culture. Second, you need to commend the volunteers. Commend the volunteers. It's verse 2 to verse th through the rest of the chapter. Look at verse 2. The people commended all those who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. This is really funny because there are a bunch of people <clears throat> that are living outside the city. They've been living there a while. And you remember some came to Jerusalem and went to their own hometowns and they've been living there now they recognize that everybody's got to find a way to repopulate Jerusalem. So what did they do? They went back to their cities and they built their homes and they established their lifestyles and they got everything in place. And so now what's going to happen? They're being asked to leave all of that and move back to Jerusalem to do the work of God. Now, the leader's already there. And it says the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten of them to live in Jerusalem, the holy city. Now, while the remaining nine went to stay in their own towns. 
So they can't get people to come. So they start casting lots. Short straw. You got the short straw. You got to move to Jerusalem. The other nine get to go home. So when you understand that, that next line is really funny. Because people began to volunteer. And this is what God always does. When there's a work to be done, there are two ways to get workers. You can manipulate them with guilt or you can wait for God to awaken their spirit. They've got to fill the city. I can't tell you how many Sunday school teachers <laughs> start teaching a Sunday school class because there wasn't anybody there that Sunday. I, Dottie Dawson, sweetheart Dottie Dawson, um, some of you have never had a chance to meet her. Um, I don't know how much longer it'll be before she goes home, but she taught Sunday school here, I think, for 200 years. And she tells a story that the first Sunday they asked her to teach because they didn't have anybody. And she taught for 40 some years after that. It's, that's the thing. Volunteering in a church is like going to purgatory. You never get out. You're just stuck there. People are afraid. I've thought, would you like to help out with boys ministry? I don't know. How long do I have to stay there? Well, probably forever till Jesus comes. So you try to recruit workers. Would you help us here? Please, would you help us? That's a tough way to get workers. Do you know a few years ago, we did a, a study at Berean and we honored all of our volunteers. And I, I don't remember the exact number, but in a 12 month period, there are over 600 volunteer opportunities, some ongoing and some one time, 600 volunteer opportunities to do what we do here and get it done. Now, many do multiple, but that's a lot of staffing. Hello? 600. And if, if, if we're going to have promised land open, we have to have people in there to take care of babies. And some of you would rather have your little finger cut off <laughs> than have to sit for 45 minutes with toddlers. I know who you are. I can see it on your faces right now. Dear Jesus, don't let him look at me. But there are others who say, I love babies. And that's something I could do for the kingdom. Because I will tell you in promised land, before they can cognitively, cognitively respond, they will have an emotional um, recognition of places where they feel safe, where they feel loved, and where they feel cared for. And the child that's loved at 18 months will still know that was a good place at 18 years. So what do you need? You need people who will volunteer. So let's imagine I'm doing a Sunday drive for promised land and I need someone and we're not moving on until I get five more workers. And then I start looking around and I'm about to start calling you out. And I say, there's a number under your chair. And if your number has a five on it, you're drafted for the nursery. <laughs> and you're ready to pull that number out when people start to say, Pastor, that's not necessary. Whether I have the number or not, I want to serve. And then you know what happens? Everybody started to applaud. Thank God that somebody volunteered so I don't have to be drafted. Right, that's what's happening here. That's the celebration. Woo! 
yes. Any others? I want to go back home. Any other volunteers? I don't want to do anything. Somebody please volunteer. So they're having trouble getting there. But the volunteers, God starts warming their hearts. This is the city of God. This is a city that's been prophesied by the prophets to be the place that will, that will represent God, our creator to the world. Surely people have to live here. Men and women will come from the nations in and out of Jerusalem. Count me in. Because God began to warm their hearts. Volunteers catch it. God began to birth a vision in their hearts. The kingdom of God, listen to me please. The kingdom of God will never be advanced by vocational ministry alone. It was never intended by God to be advanced by vocational career ministry. Is there a place for that? Yes, there is. Obviously, I believe that. But what is the primary job of career vocational ministry? To some, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. For what purpose? To raise up workers for the ministry that we're all engaged in the ministry context. If I have to try to fill 600 spots with the staff that I have, it will never get done. But the best workers for the kingdom are team builders, people that understand the power of volunteers, the kingdom of God, the church will be effective when it's populated by an army of volunteers. To Isaiah, God said, who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. That's the heart of the church. That's the life of the church. That's the strength of the kingdom. People who say, here I am, engage me, get me involved. I want to serve my God through my family of believers. The strength of the church is found in its volunteers, not in its pastoral staff. It's found in volunteers who have a heart for the kingdom. The role of vocational leadership is to equip volunteer leaders. So this morning, if you volunteer in any capacity here, if you passed out candy, I got the sweetest video from one of the little girls in our church. Her mama helped her send me a, 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 a whatever you call it, a Facebook messenger video. And she said, Pastor Gary, can we do Halloween at church again? <laughs> what made that happen? I didn't make that happen. You know who made that happen? Volunteers made that happen. The heart of Berean was shown by volunteers who loved people who came on the property and were cared for and taken care of and had a good experience and went back. The power of a church is in its volunteer army, its volunteer workers. And so here my heart this morning, online in the North Chapel here in the main auditorium, or if you see this later some other time, thank God for your voluntary service. Thank you for what you do to make the kingdom of God work. Let me hear everybody's hands right now for volunteers in the kingdom. Let me hear your hands. Thank God for volunteers. These volunteers then were commended to the Lord. The people celebrated them. That word celebrate means to kneel, to adore. It means um, to bless. They thanked them for stepping up 
to serve. When you look at scripture, you find a list at the end of Romans and other places in scripture of people who volunteered to serve. They're commended by God and by people. And it was Cornelius who had not yet heard of Jesus Christ, but was a God-fearer who had an angelic visitation that said, your prayers and your alms are kept as a memorial before God. God knows every tear you've cried. He knows every dollar you've given. He knows every hour you've served. He's kept a record of that. And one day you're going to stand before God. If no one here ever knows what you've done, one day you will stand before God and you will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's the volunteers. Volunteers need to be celebrated. They need to be commended. Thank you for what you do for the kingdom. The church will be fruitful and multiply when it has a vibrant volunteer ministry force. Third, we're going to bounce back now to verse 17. You need to lead the prayers. Not lead prayers, but lead the prayers. Look at verse 17. It's unusual what jumps out in this chapter. Madaniah, son of Micah, the son of Zabdi, the son of Asaph, the director who led in thanksgiving and prayer. Scripture singles out in this chapter of repopulating the city, what will bring people back to the city, singles out a specific area of service called leading in thanksgiving and prayers. Asaph was that leader and had a team around him that led in thanksgiving and prayers. I'm sure they've been praying and I'm sure they've been thankful, but finally here in chapter 11, attention is brought to those who lead in prayer and in thanksgiving. There's tremendous power in being thankful. There are always, is anybody here, I don't think anybody's, but somebody online will have, I apologize um, if your name is Debbie. I, I like the name Debbie. I don't mean this as a negative, but how many have heard the term Debbie Downer? Yeah. How many have heard that term? So Debbie, I apologize for that. Um, but those people wear me, Eeyore. How many know who Eeyore is? Those people just wear me out. They just wear me out. If you gave them cash, it'd be the wrong color. There's always something to complain about. So I, and let me give you an example um, from Facebook. I made a post I thought was funny. See, not everything in life should be serious. And it got all kinds of feedback. And this individual, I hope, doesn't get mad at me. But I, again, I don't, I don't care. But it was a picture. It's got like 276 likes and all kinds of comments. And I said, this is the second time I've tried to make a salad and I've failed. Any of you saw that picture? It's a big bun, a hunk of prime rib, bacon. It's all kind of meat. It's like the Emmenecker at Jethro's. It's this huge sandwich. It was a joke. Okay. Humor impaired people have to be informed when something is a joke. Lighten up, people. 
And some guy whose name is Debbie Downer <laughs> responded and said, I'm not eating that. I don't want to get a heart attack. You're going to have a heart attack because you're such a grump. People who can't laugh and see a little humor in life are going to live a short life anyway or it'll make all of our lives seem longer. Go be Debbie Downer on somebody else's page. What do you... And if that was you, I'm, I'm not sorry. It was a joke. Because our lives need to be measured by what we're thankful for, not what we're ticked off about. Amen. Be thankful. That spoken word video is powerful. Thankful for the good days and the bad days. And, and I'm thankful for everything that my wife and I have gone through. I didn't like them, wouldn't want to do them again, but God's brought things out of that in my life that would not have happened any other way. When you get the phone call that shatters your world, when your mother takes you aside as a junior high boy and says, I'm divorcing your dad, when you get the, uh, the, the, or the um, diagnosis from the doctor that your child has cancer, when you get the phone call that someone has died, go on and on with the list. Those aren't good things, but I've been at this journey long enough to know that all things, though they are not good, all things will work together for good to them that love God who are the called according to his purpose of God before us who can be against us and I'm going to be thankful I refuse to walk around and complain all the time about politics or about the government or about um, uh, the culture or about disease I'm not going to do that I'm thankful for the goodness of God in my life and the church will always be attractional when its people are thankful Some people wouldn't be able to get out of bed in the morning if they didn't have something to fight. What a terrible day. I don't have anything to complain about. <laughs> Hallelujah. I've told the story before, but it's just classic. There's always something to complain about. Always, right? When people... I'll, I'll say, how are you doing? And if you ever say this to me, here's what you're going to hear back. I'll say, how are you doing? And they'll say, I can't complain. And I'll say, that's not true. You can. Everybody does it. But you're choosing not to. How many know there's always something to complain about? Don't tell me you can't. Tell me I won't. Um, or don't. Or someone will say to me, is everything going good? No. You're not going to get a yes to that from me. No, everything's not going good, but there's enough going good that I'm thankful I'm alive and I love Jesus and I'm thankful for the blessing of God in my life and he is always good. Amen. I'm going to be thankful. I'm not going to be um, living in a fantasy land, but I'm going to be thankful. And there have to be people that lead us in being thankful. Why do we have a worship service? To remind us to be thankful. You have something to be thankful for in the midst of every circumstance. And the world that we're living in needs to see thankful people because it is thanksgiving that will make you whole. There's power in being thankful. I've preached a message on this. It was a powerful revelation to me. 
But I'm sure you've all heard the parable of the 10 lepers. Not the parable, the story of the 10 lepers. They came to Jesus and Jesus sent them on their way to go show themselves to the priest. And as they're on their way, the Bible says they were cleansed of their leprosy. Now, let me tell you what cleansed means. It means the disease stopped and the damage ceased. Do you know what that also means? It means they still carried scars. The fingers that fell off didn't return. Damage done to their body was not restored. It says they were cleansed. But one went back. And he came to Jesus to do what? To give thanks. And when he gave thanks, Jesus says, were, were there not ten? Where are the nine? And he says to the man, your thankful heart, your thanks has made you not cleansed, made you whole. Whoo! Yes. Made you whole. Now, this is my sermon. I'm going to tell you how I believe it, and, I, and, and I, I don't want you to edit it. I believe that means he was restored, that the scars were gone, that the damage was, was uh, replaced, that he no longer carried the scars of his leprosy because that's what a thankful heart does. You don't have to carry the scars of your bitterness. You don't have to carry the scars of your pain. You don't have to carry the wounds of what people have done to you. When you develop a thankful heart, not only will it cleanse you of your bitterness, it will make you whole because thankful people are whole people. Oh, listen, I bear in my body the marks of things people have done. You want to compare scars? I'll compare them. I'll show you my scars to show you what Jesus has done. But I'm not going to live in depression over it. I'm going to live in thanksgiving in spite of it. People who led in thanksgiving also led in prayer because the only way that you can get to prayer is by, or thanksgiving is by being prayerful. Prayer is the breath and life of the church. It draws in the presence of God. The church should be a house of prayer and so it singles out and celebrates those who lead the prayers and the church needs to be led by people who are thankful and I can tell you that thankful people are people who pray. Um, ministry, life can be hard. <laughs> How many of you have been hurt? Hold up your hand. We all have. I was talking on the phone to a young lady who was just getting involved in ministry and hit a wall. And I said, the secret to ministry is this. Secret to life is to keep your heart tender and your skin thick. People get it mixed up. Their skin stays tender and their heart gets thick. You've got to keep your heart tender and your skin thick. She said, how do you do that? I said, there's only one way. Come on, there's only one way. You got to take it to Jesus. 
I don't know how to do that for you. I don't know what will get you out of that. But here's what I know. There is a balm in Gilead. There is a way maker. There is a healer. There is a deliverer who, when you take it to him, will give you what you need to have so that you can toughen up on the outside and stay tender on the inside. That only happens when you pray. The church of Jesus Christ will be fruitful and multiply when thanksgiving and prayer permeates the atmosphere. Number four, lastly, is this. You have to disciple the musicians. <laughs> I love this part. Disciple the musicians. The Bible says in verse 23, it's kind of a strange text, to single this group out in all of these volunteers. These aren't volunteers. They're actually being provided for. The musicians were under the king's orders which regulated their daily activity. So I'm just going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to say this and hope you understand it. If not, make an appointment and I'll explain it. But the most talented people in the kingdom are often the most difficult people. And in the days when we used to have choirs... You would hear pastors make this comment. When Satan was kicked out of heaven, he went straight to the choir loft. Come on, help me now. Because there's something about being in front and your talents being appreciated that if you're not really careful will make you arrogant. I've never really ran into an arrogant janitor who cleaned toilets saying, I am the toilet cleaner here. I've never had anyone leave the church because we wouldn't let them clean the toilets. But I've had people leave because we wouldn't let them do what they wanted to do in music. Had someone tell me, if you don't let me sing here, I'll find somewhere that'll let me. You see, worship and music is such a vibrant part of the church that it's essential that that group of people be discipled, strongly discipled. In fact, Paul tells us in Ephesians, in Ephesians to be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves how in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That it's the musicians that create the atmosphere. And they're here under the direct orders of the king. Who is that? It's the king of Persia. The king of Persia says, those people are going to be accountable to me. And answering to him means that he set aside a specific amount of money to take care of them and meet their needs so they could focus on worship and be accountable to him. Now, why would he do that? Why would he care? Well, let me read to you from Ezra chapter 6 when Ezra came back. This was the decree from the king. Moreover, I hereby decree that you are to do for these elders of Jews in the construction of this house of God. The expenses of these men are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury from the revenues of the trans-Euphrates so that the work will not stop. Whatever is needed, young, bulls, rams, male lambs, burnt offering to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, oil as requested by the priests in Jerusalem must be given to them daily without fail so that they, and here's how we saw the worship leaders, the king of Persia, so that they may offer sacrifices pleasing to the God of heaven and pray for the well-being of the king and his sons. So it wasn't because he saw them as special 
but he understood the power of their ministry. The whole idea being that worship leaders have to be held accountable to authority and understand the impact they have on the kingdom. That you have to disciple the musicians. It's quite, uh, quite a calling out of this group. And it says that their daily activities were regulated. Provided for, but also obligated to. Focused on being accountable as worship leaders. Those who are involved in worship leading must stay disciplined before God. I have a, have a friend who was once a pastor. He's not pastoring currently. But when he was pastoring... <laughs> He required that his staff and worship team be in their home by 10 o'clock on Saturday night. Well, that's kind of domineering, don't you think? No, I think it's wisdom. Because if you're going to lead people into the presence of God, you have to be fresh when you come. And you can't stay up till 2 in the morning watching horror movies and come into the house of God with his presence on you. You can't stay up doing puzzles and playing games till two in the morning and come and lead people into God's presence. When you walk in and you're going to be a worshiper or a worship leader, your spirit needs to be rested and refreshed. And if Sunday matters, it has to matter on Saturday night. This has nothing to do with attendance. It has nothing to do with um, building a number. It's if we believe this is real, and if we believe that God wants to repopulate the city, and we believe that Sunday morning is the place where that happens, where people will be impacted for the kingdom, you can't come dragging in here, hanging on to the bumper of your car while your husband or wife pulls you in. You need to come refreshed, ready, alert, and rested, and ready for the presence of God. Is anyone hearing me this morning? They're accountable to the king. The king's going to provide for them, and they're under daily orders. Singled out in this group. So then, the church will be fruitful and multiply when it has disciplined worship leaders. It'll be fruitful and multiply when it has disciplined worship leaders. It is the will of God that the church grow spiritually and physically. That is the will of God. Every time in the book of Acts that the spirit of God moved, people came to faith and the numbers increased. The city of Jerusalem needs to be repopulated. And I'm telling you, when this COVID pandemic is over, churches all over the world are going to have to repopulate because people will have left the church who no longer saw it as a vital part of their life. It's a sifting of the church we're going through. What will it take to repopulate the city? Um, Pastor Lane and, and uh, Tiffany, if you would come, please. The leaders need to settle down and live in the city. The volunteers need to be recognized and celebrated. Prayer and thanksgiving needs to move people toward God. And the musicians must live disciplined lives. Then the city. Woo! Then the city will be repopulated. 
I want to be in that number. Now, by worship leaders, I'll tell you, while I'm not playing an instrument, this is my heart. When I'm preaching, I'm trying to lead you into worship. And here's what I know. If I don't come disciplined, the outcome will not be positive. Amen? Let's stand together. And let's take a moment, worship leaders. Let's take a moment. Let's take a moment and worship him. Can we do that together? And here's why we're worshiping. We're believing that God, how many are going to believe with me on this COVID Sunday <laughs> that he's going to repopulate the city? Come on, I believe that. And he's going to repopulate the city. Then let's be worshipers. Let's open our heart toward heaven.
if you believe that, let me hear your hands. Come on, church, let me hear your hands. And those that believe that God's going to repopulate his city, sad. 